when I look around and see people from every age and type, I don't, I don't know who the oldest one in the room is right now, but uh, I know that my father's here and he's 91. Anyone here older than 91? Feel like it? <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, Pastor Devin's here this morning. I really didn't think he would be. He, he does have duties with a brand new newborn along with Nisa, but he was here. So with him here, that means we have three generations of walkers here. And uh, his little boys are still at home. If they were here, we would have four generations of walker boys. They're here. They're just busy in the back. I just didn't see him. I need to have my grandson fix. But uh, so we have four generations here. That's a real blessing, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that my father, and I believe his father before him, practiced this passage in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. It does not guarantee a thing because it doesn't take away free will. But what it does is it sets a pattern that tends to produce the right thing every time. So also when I looked across this audience, I realized that every one of us was jerked out of a perfectly comfortable environment when we were in our mother's wombs. Most were born through the birth canal. That is a narrowing, straightening thing that does not give. It forces the baby to follow a path. That is an exact picture of what the Hebrew word means for train up, and we'll get to that in a minute. The baby isn't given a choice. The baby must follow a path to enter a whole new realm almost against its will. From birth to death, it's almost like being propelled into another place. Sometimes you really get eager about it and we're excited. You know, when you're a kid, you look forward to when you get old enough to drive. When you get old enough to drive, you look forward to when you're old enough or you're at the point where you can get married and have a family. And then comes the stuff you're reluctant about. We think it's really cool getting a job, but then we reach the point sometimes where we dread getting up in the morning to go to work. And the dread kind of increases as that goes. Right now I'm in my 60s, being propelled towards 70s. And by God's grace, I might reach the 80s, and some of us reach 90s, and very few of us go past that. But the whole point is we're going from one place, we get to a comfort zone, and then we are moved and formed to go to another level. In the Christian walk, everything is about this process of growth. One of the descriptions that we feel like defines us as a body, as a Christian family, is the fact that we're a work in progress. We've accomplished some things. We've experienced some things. We've come to a level of knowledge maybe about our Father in heaven, about His Son Jesus, but we have to keep growing. Life is a progression from one place to another, some stuff we don't look forward to, and yet it's from one passage to another passage to another passage, and each passage has some narrowing to it, and then after we get through the narrow place, time of expansion and growth. We're going to talk about this today. This is part, even though this is Father's Day, we're continuing with the series, Protecting Innocence. Most of the time, we're talking about children 
and rightly so. In, in many ways, most of the uh, old societies in the ancient wisdom, they understand that much of our adult lives is aimed at propelling our children into the future, giving them a platform for success, <clears throat> training them to succeed and not fail so they can live and not die, so they can prosper and not live without lack. We want to train our children to do better and accomplish more than we ever have. Any generation that loses that perspective, the generations that begin to focus on me, suffer because they begin to neglect their kids. In fact, our, our last three generations, probably since the 60s, we have suffered as a nation because we've begun to focus more and more and more on how I feel today, getting to the weekend to party hardy, not planning for the future. And because of that, our children and our children's children are suffering. So it's important that we go back to the ancient ways in Scriptures. The Lord has always had a plan for us on how to protect innocence, but even to go beyond that, and it has to do with training. There's three ways that you protect. One is defensively, by dealing directly with threats or danger or attacks. That's simple, and that is necessary at times. Picture uh, a mother storming into a situation where her child is is being endangered. The second way is by avoidance, by avoiding all possible sources or places of danger. Some of that is very normal, teaching our children not to run into traffic, teaching some basics about safety. The problem is when you take those first two ways, defensively and avoidance, when you take them to an extreme, you create bubble children. Children who are growing up in such a bubble, they've never faced risk, they've never faced adversity, they've never faced what it's like to be rejected, so they don't know how to handle it. If you put them in a bubble until they suddenly reach the age of adulthood and send them off to college, you're going to have a, a child, now an adult, totally unprepared for the real world, which is not user-friendly. And that's especially true even in the spirit realm. The third way to deal uh, with protecting innocence is offensively. And I'm not talking about being offensive, but being on the offense proactively. And that is through example and association. Um, you train yourself, your family, how to live or be in contact with a champion Teach your kids how to walk with Jesus, how to live in Him, how to live with God's Word inside them. Begin to train them on how to reign. We could call this training for reigning. That's how to effectively protect innocence in your children. Teach them from the very beginning who they are, what they've been called to do and be, and who they belong to. Once you do that, you can tell a significant difference between children that were raised in homes and taught to be leaders from the beginning, whether they're type A or not. It doesn't matter about the personality type. If you train your children who God says they are, what He has done to help move them there, there is such a balance that comes into their lives that they're going to be very stable. We 
make the mistake of getting our terms and our understandings wrong. Stability is one of those words that we don't get right many times. We think stability is never bending, never falling down, never making a mistake, perfection. When really the proper definition of stability or stasis is the ability to return to a position of stability. A palm tree has great stability, not because it doesn't bend. In fact, a palm tree is built from the beginning when high winds come, for instance, from the persistent tropical storms and hurricanes that come, they will bend all the way to the ground. What makes them a stable tree isn't the fact that they don't bend, it's the fact that they come back. And in reality in life, we're humans. We go up and we go down. We get hit by things. Life comes in waves. Our success is a gradual up and down, and our average goes up. And that is success. And so what even in Proverbs 22.6, what that promise has to do, what that exhortation has to do is train your child in the right way, the way they should go. And whether they get hit, whether it's an up season or a down season, they will always return to stasis. They will come back to a place of stability with an upward trend. That's what we're going to get to. So our, mo our main focus needs to be on training our children to walk with Jesus to see Christ formed in them so we won't have to walk with them every day of their lives and then fret once they reach the age of adulthood because we haven't trained them properly. If we train them the right way, teach them to recognize Jesus, help them to meet Jesus, help Him to live in them and help their maturity to grow, then when it comes time to release them, we can relax. Any parent here that has a child that's beyond uh, teen years, you've had to face this process. There comes a time whether, whether you want to or not, you have to let them go. And at that point, your ability to directly affect their lives is over. At that point, you become an advisor. And all you can lean on at that point is what you have put into them, what kind of foundation you put into them. So we're going to get into some of the details there. I want to go back to Proverbs and quote it, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Message Bible puts it this way, pretty simple words. It says, point your kids in the right direction. And when they're old, they won't be lost. You know, when you point someone in the right direction, you don't necessarily give them the details. You point to the landmark. And then over time, as you reiterate it and reiterate it and then gradually take it, even, even my son, Sean, he's 23, he's autistic, he's nonverbal. He communicates in different ways. But I'll tell you what, he knows where we're at and where we're going. He gets really agitated the moment we take a turn toward his brother's house, toward Pastor Devin's. I mean, we can be going along, we can go anywhere at all, but if I make a turn toward Devin's, let's see... Pastor Devin also is one of his aides, and so I think that Sean sees him as babysitter, and he gets irritated. And you just take one turn toward it doesn't matter. We can come from north, south, east, west. He knows all the roads. But when we turn a certain direction, he's irritated because he knows. <clears throat> You're not going to drop me off there, are you? No, I don't like Devin. I don't want to see him. It's hilarious. He's, so even he's got that. <clears throat> the Hebrew word in Proverbs 22.6 is kanak. 
And it means to dedicate four times. It means to dedicate. And we, it's translated as train up, and it does mean that. But it means to dedicate, to set aside for something specific, something special. Um, and one time in Proverbs, the King James translates it as train up. But it means to train, to dedicate, to inaugurate, to make narrow. Remember my reference to the birth canal. And one of the ancient meanings of this word kanak or kanak is to strangle. That was your chance to laugh as a parent. It means that it, you don't necessarily strangle your child, but you are narrowing the options. This new age idea, and it is a new idea, it's newfangled and it's false, of allowing your children to choose their own way, right. How many of you real-life parents out here have ever tried for a moment having your child choose your own way? I'm talking about little children. That's foolish, right? No. When they're young, you take their hand. In fact, one of the scriptures we're going to read here will actually tell you, take your child by the hand and lead them in the way they should go. That's what we are we're involved here. When you want to protect innocence, you don't do it passively. You do it on purpose, especially the younger your child is. And we'll talk about the need to let go a little bit later. Training this strangling, this narrowing down is the key, whether you're a mother, a father, or a drill sergeant. You narrow the things down. You teach them the right way to go, the principles, the common tracks. Give them the landmarks to go by. And when they get older and they're making their own choices, they won't get lost. That's the whole point. So that's what we're talking about here today. Even mammals in the animal kingdom, they train their young before they turn them loose. We need to train our children if we want to protect their innocence, you cannot protect them from everything that comes. In fact, part of them growing up is facing challenges, even facing attacks, rejection, misunderstanding, but doing it under controlled circumstances so that when there is no control, they will, even from sheer habit, begin to make the right choices. And there are some things. The ultimate training is to get beyond thought to instinct to patterned response. There are some things we need to train our people to react on. Any of you who have been in the military, part of the key to survival is to get to the point of instinct. Some things have to happen so fast you don't need to think about them. They need to be instant, instinctive response or you simply won't be here for another day. There are some of those things in the spirit realm are the same way. We need to pattern certain responses to be so quick that we act instantly. We don't even have to think about certain core reactions. Hallelujah. There are three words connected with training that describe almost everything God did in the Old and the New Testament. I'm going to cover them. Two of them are big and one of them is an added thing. I'm going to cover them. They are nurture. We don't use that word too much anymore. Admonition. We never use that word at all. And blameless. We just don't hear that one much. Nurture, admonition, and blameless. Two of them show up in Ephesians 6.4. I'm going to read that to you now. In the King James first, and then we'll go on to other ones. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition 
of the Lord. Those two words are words we skip over because we never use them. You actually have to look up admonition most of the time. Now, I'm an editor uh, as well as a pastor and minister, and I use all kinds of words all the time. I still had to look up admonition from time to time because I didn't use it very often. A year would go by, and I wouldn't use the word admonition. So we need to figure out what what this was used for. I want to read it from the Amplified Bible. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And it gives a few explanations here. These will be covered next week. We're going to talk about how to protect innocence by protecting your children from yourself. But listen to Paul. He goes on, Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. And this is the part for today. But bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Message Bible puts it this way. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. Simple and to the point. What these things are defining is admonition and nurture. Nurture comes from a Greek word. You guys can learn this and quote it and really be proud that you know Greek. Uh, padaya. And it just means tutorage, to educate, train, or instruct. It really comes from an old French word, which comes from a Latin word, that means nutrition. So this is the gentler side of raising your kids. This is the nurture side. And it really was aimed heavily at men. I think it, it became, we don't use it very much because we think it's, men don't use it very much because we think it's mainly a female thing. That's not the way the Scriptures actually handle this. It's really aimed at men. We move on. Admonition means calling attention to with a slight warning added to it. This is where whether a dad uses his father's voice or a mother uses her mom's voice, this is where you say, what are you doing? Do you know if you do that, this thing's going to hit you in the head because you're not looking up? Little simple things like that. Uh, Any of you grew up on a farm? Wait a minute, you go back and shut that gate Uh, in the bathroom. You know, if you leave that toothpaste there with the lid off, then when you come to use it tomorrow, it's all going to be dried out or it'll all be smushed out on the uh, counter. Put the lid back on. And then, of course, uh, then wives are constantly trying to correct the permanent child in their house. Uh, close the lid after you use that. <laughs> Stuff like that. Or lift before you use one or the other. Hallelujah. The other one is blameless. And it comes from Philippians 2.15 in King James. That you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Blameless, a mimtos, it means unblameable or faultless. Thayer's adds that it means in nothing lacking. The Scripture actually telling us, the Apostle Paul is talking to us, he's giving some instruction, and he's saying that it is possible for us, in fact, our goal, individually and even as we raise our kids, is to raise up blameless people. 
He is not saying people who do it perfectly. Because it's not going to happen. Let me tell you ahead of time. We live by grace. We live by faith. We cannot be perfect. If you want to be perfect in this life, forget it. It's not going to happen. That is the goal. We are commanded to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That is in Scripture. But the rest of the New Testament tells us how we do it, by grace. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of His good desires or His hopes or His prayers for us. We need His help to do it. But admonition, nurture, and being blameless, these three things have to do with where we're going to go. I want to read the New Living Translation of Philippians 2 and it will become very clear to you. Dear friends, I'm going to start with verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. It's kind of a picture of a parent when their children are young. And now that I am away, it is even more important, a picture of you as a parent trying to raise your kids. Yeah, when they're past the older, now they're older. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. In other words, so that you can be blameless. Live clean, innocent lives. We have to preserve innocence in our children. And according to this, we need to preserve innocence in our own hearts because God gives us a fresh start. When we come to Him, He doesn't put a Band-Aid on what ills us. He makes us new creatures. And if we let Him, day by day, He narrows things down, and He causes that new life to go from the spirit side of us, that part of us that's eternal, it spreads all the way, all the way down to the things of the body. It affects all of us. It does bring healing and gives us a brand new start. So with that new start... We can live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And all of us were crooked and perverse, crooked in that we weren't straight anymore. Again, the goal here, how do we preserve innocence in our children? When we're so messed up ourselves, we're cracked pots trying to raise up little pots that aren't cracked. When we're born with a crack hidden inside. And it gets worse over time. In other words, we're born imperfect. But the Lord Jesus has provided a fix, a cure for us. It involves nurture. That means teaching, instruction, taking by the hand and leading in the beginning. And if you haven't noticed, when you go from nurture, then you go to admonition. In the beginning... With a little baby, a little newborn, there's not much admonition there. You're not pointing out things and with a warning. In the beginning, all it takes for a little baby is nurture. And then you go to admonition where you're pointing out things with a little warning about consequences if they don't heed that. And then ultimately, if all things go well, you can lead them to a life that's blameless in Christ. I want to... Uh, share some of the ways, I know in my life, so far it's just been teaching, I can tell you some of the stories you can relate to, 
Let <clears throat> gives me a chance to pick on my kids. I like doing that. First one was uh, when I married Juliana, 32 years ago. Has it been that long? Yeah, 32 years ago. Um, I was an instant dad. I inherited immediately a nine-year-old little girl who wasn't sure that she wanted to be involved. And my first job was to win her over. I had to date two women. <clears throat> and that's just part of it because I knew that one of the things I loved about Juliana, she loved her daughter. And if I was going to marry her, I was going to have to love her daughter, and it couldn't be fake, and it was going to be tough because Vanessa was a very interesting young lady, highly gifted, highly intelligent, highly motivated, but not necessarily uh, really godly in that sense. She was just a, a nine-year-old girl who uh, had a daddy wound in her heart, and uh, it was very interesting seeing her come into... Uh, our marriage and see it, it develop. And later on, we had some problems, and um, we did about everything wrong that we could. We, we discovered some right things. But the most interesting thing that happened was finally after uh, her running away, and uh, Pastor Juliana shared last week that while we were youth pastors at a church, it was pretty interesting, we were having problems with Vanessa. I thought I was about as qualified as a rock to be a youth pastor at that point, since my teenager wouldn't have anything to do with what we were trying to teach her. But um, our job was to love her. We learned a lot about love in those times. Finally, we reached the place of tough love, and we just finally we uh, had her. When she ran away, we decided to let her enjoy the fruits of, of running away. We kind of quietly kept track, but we began to pray instead of raining fear down on the parents who were giving her shelter or stuff like that. We just began to pray. And it wasn't long before Vanessa came to us and said, I need help. I need to change my associations. I need to change my school. Will you help me? And we began to work with her and partner with her. We knew that our waves of up and down had not ended yet, but we would take every positive we got. And God began to send different people into her life that would echo the things we said. And, of course, it sounded better coming from them than from us. But we had at that point to trust. By this time, years had gone by, and we had, we had raised her in the admonition and nurture of the Lord as best we could. God was also healing wounds in her heart. Many of you parents who are, have a blended family, it's a reality today. Um, I encourage you, trust the Lord. Do everything you can do, and when you can do no more, love your kids unconditionally and give them into the hands of the Lord and trust Him, and He will come through, and He did. Um, that's one story of Vanessa. Now, Devin was an interesting child. Pastor Devin was our firstborn son, and uh, he suffered all of the errors that we would make growing up. And there were times when I suffered, I, I made a mistake of, of being so devoted to work that I wasn't home much. And when I was home, I wasn't there. 
There, there were many. There was one particularly bad season in Pennsylvania where I, I was in a crisis at work for months on end, and so I would rarely come home. There was one time I was, I was gone, I forget, five or six nights without sleep. I was killing myself. Uh, but uh, Devin would come and snuggle up ready for an, a, a uh, nighttime story, and three or four times he'd have to elbow me. He said, Dad, wake up. You stopped right there. Tell me the rest of the story. I mean, he would he put up with a lot of stuff. We somehow got through that. There's all kinds of stories that go in there. But there was a day after I'd started my own business and I was home more where I was able to take Devin with me. Uh, we flew from Pennsylvania to Dallas, and I paid for the ticket to take him for an interview with uh, one of my clients. I was helping him write a book. And these clients were, um, and I can't review who they were and all that good stuff, but I can tell you that they were at the downward slope of their ministry, nationally, internationally known ministers that would, you know, command, there would be 25,000 people or more would come to stadiums to see them. But ego had begun to really take its root in them. And by this time, Devin had grown up and seen about everything. He grew up in church. He knew the good, the bad, and the really ugly part, and he, he saw it all. And um, I took him there on purpose. I wanted him to be with me. And these people uh, had at least some something that, that teenagers would love to be around. But Devin immediately saw it all. And he sat there right with me, saw the whole thing as we talked with them. And then we went back to the hotel room and had discussions. And even then, Devin was operating uh, very discerning about things going on. He could read people real well. If you ever feel like he's looking right through you, mm-hmm. it's been happening for a long time. Try raising one that does that to you, you know. Anyway, um, I remember we did something that um, even today, some of you might raise your eyebrows, but I took him to a movie that just came out. I prayed about it and really felt I was supposed to. And we went to The Matrix. I'm not going to preach about the Matrix, but I will say that the first movie in particular does show a great deal about the reality of the spirit world as against the, the false appearances of the natural world. Matrix actually does a great picture of showing the reality of the kingdom of God. But you have to go through a rebirth, a very uncomfortable, narrow expulsion from this world of illusion that we live in. We think this world is real, but the eternal world is far more real than the natural. Anyway, we went to that movie and talked for hours. I don't know if you're 12, 10. We talked at the age of 10. Yeah, I know, Matrix 10. But I am talking about Pastor Devin. And uh, he was about going on 18 at that point, maybe older. So we had in-depth discussions about all the layers and matrix and the, and the nature of the spirit realm. And at that point, I saw my son explode. His concepts of the kingdom grew. I didn't mean he instantly became a perfect Christian because he is headed into some very difficult straits. He had already navigated the path of uh, a brother he loved very much being born and then being diagnosed with severe epilepsy and then being diagnosed with autism and praying the prayer of faith as only a young boy can do or a young girl and seeing this thing not happen the way he wished it to be. So he had already been through a major crisis of faith and had to, he was navigating those rivers. So that was one thing where 
I took him in a situation and we sat down. I call it the rabbinic method. And you're going to look that up and, and find it any way you want. But it basically involves discussing things constantly. And uh, looking at life as a parable and having a parable and, and teaching people how to take one truth and apply it to another. And seeing things in the natural realm that reveal spiritual truths in another. So he began learning that. He had a lot of ups and downs in his life. Um, there were other times, I remember when we moved to Arkansas, some of you were here in the church uh, when we were at the river and used to be Grace Covenant. Uh, and I was not pastor. We had a great pastor at the church at that time that I, I loved dearly. But it was a rough place. Devin was so angry about moving from Pennsylvania that the ushers and uh, the greeters, they had just kind of stepped back when he came through the door because he'd come through glower at him. He's angry all the time. And uh, he just, he would only be, he'd only speak enough not to get in trouble and be grounded for the rest of his life. But other than that, he didn't want to communicate with me especially or with his mother. And uh, it was a rough time. But there's a time when the Lord gave me a word for him. I wrote it down. And at the right time, I went in and gave him that word and handed it to him on a piece of paper. And some time went by. And, of course, he didn't jump up and down about that word either at that time. But we had heard from God when we moved here. And I'd heard from God when I gave him the word. And it took a number of years. A lot of stuff happened. Um, one of the most significant things, I think Pastor Devin shared some of this earlier, was I really felt there's a time when I should send him on uh, a prayer journey. And uh, we had been in a relationship with a uh, spirit-filled Mennonite church in Pennsylvania. And uh, I made arrangements. This church actually was in crisis now. After we left and some years had gone by, they had, they had two things. They had the most uh, magnificent church facility in the area. Uh, whenever major artists came, Christian artists, that's where they went to have a concert. And, but this church was dying. It was shrinking on a vine. Um, it had a word about who the pastor should be, and, and uh, uh, we even shared it. It wasn't received too well at first. But ultimately, that man became the pastor, and the church began to prosper. But still, it had gotten so bad that they moved out of their brand-new auditorium that was beautiful, state-of-the-art, into the old auditorium. I mean, the natural speaks volumes of the spiritual. And so they had shrunk down. And uh, I sent uh, Devin up there. Was it for one or two weeks, Devin? Two months. Oh, yeah. It was a long one. Uh, whew. Two months. We want to get rid of him now. So we got him a ticket, went up there, and uh, told him, I have a, a zero flash in my face, so I need to get down to this. Uh, we told him, don't speak unless you're asked. Pray constantly. You're here to serve. I want you to learn while you're there. And uh, he did exactly that. I mean, he babysat their children. They put him on a roof for a roofing project. That didn't turn out too well. He did a lot of things for them. And in the end, they invited him to an elders meeting, and uh, they were looking at three different offers for people to buy this church. They'd reached the point of they just couldn't go on any longer. And they invited... Devin to go and sit in on the elders' meeting. And as, as they were looking through this and all the discussions, at the end, they finally turned to Devin and said, Devin, do you have any, anything to say? And he had been obeying. He hadn't said a thing. And 
At that point, he shared something from the Scriptures that God had given him. And after he had shared what he had, because he'd been in prayer this entire time for two months about this church, God had been speaking to him. He, he experienced his first demonic attack while he is in prayer quietly in this new sanctuary. Uh, called me on the phone in the middle of that. So anyway, he shared this. And after they had that word from Devin, they took all three contracts and tore them up. And today that church is prospering. Um, that was an example. When you raise your kids, you go in cycles and you go in a progression. They're not all smooth and clean. But there comes a time where you take the things that you've taught them and now they've added to that things they've learned by their own experience. And then you let them go. And it's hard to do without messing with them, without trying to manipulate, do all kinds of stuff. It's very hard. And you're going to mess it up sometimes. But you'll reach the point where you just release your kids and let them experience the things of God themselves and hear from God for themselves, including the right to make a mistake. Give them the privilege, the one you want too. You don't want people micromanaging your life. Once they reach a certain stage, you need to let them go. Give them enough guidance, give them the landmarks, but turn them loose. Expose them to the Holy Spirit for real. Show them how to pray by praying with them in front of them. Teach them to fear or reverence God. They need to get out of the seat of the scornful. They need to step out of that seat and never go back again. Be a sounding board for hearing God's voice. Eli the the priest was a mess, but he still helped young Samuel discern God's voice for himself. Show them how to treat a spouse by your example. Where you make a mistake, admit it and then do better. And finally, show them how to properly use their time and their resources. Again, even using your own mistakes. You may stand.